You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 490. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP490. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Hey, hey, audience, Amy here, and we are going to be talking about perfectionism today. I think this is by far one of the most pervasive behavioral tactics that we employ largely due to a deep-seated belief that we need to prove ourselves in some way or that we're not valuable unless we're perfect. So we're going to dig into that today. And if you did not know, this is a part of a fairly decent-sized series all around worthiness and how it applies to other various topics in our life. So the last three episodes I've done have been around how worthiness applies to boundaries and speaking up. I did another episode around how it feels when we don't think we are enough versus actually believing that you are not enough. And that one really talks a lot about emotional intelligence and understanding what's happening when we feel a specific way. And then last week, if you did not catch it, we talked about enoughness or worthiness and how it relates to the subconscious mind. I really suggest that you listen to last week's episode in particular because it shines a light on the science behind why you might not feel good enough. And it's very, very similar to having a deep-seated belief that you must be perfect in order to have worth or in order to have value. So if you ever find yourself going, why did I choose this protection mechanism of trying to always be flawless? It's largely because of beliefs that were embedded into our subconscious mind without our consent, I might add, But oftentimes, we do that in our childhood in order to stay safe in some way. For example, if you grew up in a really volatile household, or let's say you had caregivers who maybe were fantastic, but were really ill most of the time, you may have learned that your needs don't matter as much as someone else. Or maybe you had a sibling who needed far more attention due to medical issues or mental health situations. And you developed a belief that in order for me to show up and be truly seen and heard, I need to overachieve. I need to be perfect. I need to be valedictorian. 
I need to get into the best schools. So what I'm trying to underline here is a lot of the stuff that's developed in that subconscious mind manifests behaviorally later on in our lives. But before we jump into all of this, I want to make sure that we're very clear that perfectionism as a behavioral tactic is not always a bad thing. Wait, what? Wait, what? I think there's a problem in personal development spaces where we will take a concept like people-pleasing, like perfectionism, like control, and we demonize it. We make it something that is always something to be avoided. And that is not reality. In fact, you may have heard me talk about this before. It's called personal development for a reason, because it's fucking personal. What that means is that how you behave in any situation is nuanced. There are times when people-pleasing really will keep you safe. Like if you are a child and you are trying to stay away from an abusive parent, placating, acquiescing, that may keep that child safe. The same is true for perfectionism. If I am going for brain surgery, let's say, you better fucking hope that that neurosurgeon is a perfectionist. There is no room for error. It has to be flawless because it is a life and death situation. But today, we're not going to talk about when the stakes are high. Obviously, that's a life and death issue. The stakes are understandably incredibly high. We're going to be talking about when the stakes don't really matter. We've just bought into this idea that things need to be flawless. And again, that is usually fueled by, almost always fueled by a deep-seated belief around what perfectionism means. So as we talk today, we're going to be dividing things between sort of the repercussions of perfectionism or how it shows up. And then I'm going to give you about six different things that you can play around with to help you analyze perfectionist tendencies and see, is it in service of me in this situation or is it not? We do have those situations at work where if we make a small mistake, we could get fired. That is a much more higher stakes situation. But I have found way more often than not, we're in situations where we are striving for perfect when it doesn't really matter all that much in the grand scheme of our lives. I'll give you a really silly example of how this showed up for me many, many years ago when I had my 30th birthday party. And we planned a really elaborate, incredibly fun 80s-themed birthday party. Now, when I was growing up in the 80s and I would constantly have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I was always a little bit jealous of the other kids who would get peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that were cut in triangles. <laughs> now, I know that's a really silly thing, but when we started planning this birthday party, we wanted to have a lot of 80s reminiscent types of foods, right? We had squeeze-its and we had nerds and things like that. But we also made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Whenever Mr. Smith and I plan parties without fail, at 
the sort of 11th hour right before everyone is about to get there, I kind of borderline lose my shit. (laughs) I'm running around frantically and I'm trying to make everything perfect. I had all of these old cassette tapes that were hanging from the ceiling. We found really cool vintage posters. We had Cabbage Patch and Rainbow Bright out. We had it all going on. And bless his heart, Mr. Smith is always there to take care of all of the shit that happens at the very last minute. One of the things that I asked him to do was to cut the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches up for me and please do them in triangles. So, of course, He's not doing it perfectly. So what happens? I lose my shit because he was cutting them into squares instead of triangles. This is what I'm talking about. Metaphorically, this is exactly what happens to me when I allow perfectionism to steal my joy. The stakes are not fucking high. They are me holding on with a death grip to control something that just doesn't matter. And I see it oftentimes in my own work, specifically around graphics or anything related to design. I can spend forever making sure it's the exact color code or that there's a specific amount of space perfectly between each paragraph on a page on my site. And that stuff ultimately steals my joy. It doesn't matter. I wanted to make sure that I underlined that because we need to recognize that sometimes the stakes are unbelievably high, but a majority of time they are not. And we are layering on behavior that makes us feel like we can control a situation. And what we really need to do is step back and examine, is this really the healthiest, the most empowering way for me to engage with this scenario. Is this my fastest avenue to peace? So let's talk about how perfectionism shows up for us and some of the ways that it stifles our happiness. As I mentioned before, perfectionism is almost always rooted in a defense mechanism, a way that we can stay safe by proving how excellent and flawless we are. And oftentimes when we get to our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, depends on when sort of the lightning rod hits you, you realize that some of those behaviors that maybe used to keep you safe are now infringing on your ability to have the things you want in your life. One of the classic ways that this shows up is when perfectionism causes procrastination. Have you ever wanted to accomplish something, let's say, start a new business, but you think you need one more credential, one more certification, I just need one more finesse to my website, or I should probably think about starting a podcast, or all of these things before we actually get into action. Or maybe you would like to start dating again perhaps after a pretty lengthy hiatus, but you think you need to look a specific way. You're not perfect enough. We have to lose weight or have our hair a specific way or get lash extensions or all these other bullshit narratives that we buy into about how we need to be perfect in order to take action. And in both of these situations, what we're seeing 
is stagnation. And we're also seeing a delay of fulfillment. If what we're really wanting is to find that partner, we're pushing that further and further into our future through our attachment to perfectionism. If we want that career or we want that business and we keep saying, no, I need one more certification, I need one more fill in the blank, we're perpetually putting that dream farther and farther in the future. That is why we have to understand that perfectionism sometimes is very clearly stealing our joy. And that's a little bit of a mindfuck because we start off thinking this is the way. This is how I'm going to be excellent. This is how I'm going to achieve. This is how I'm going to stand out. And ultimately, this is how I'm going to prove my worth. So it feels antithetical to let go of something that has been in service of us for so long. Another major belief that we buy into around perfectionism is, hey, this behavioral tactic has gotten me where I am. This has gotten me so much success in my career. This has gotten me degree after degree or promotion after promotion. So if I let go of this tactic, who will I be? What is my identity outside of performing and accomplishing and achieving and doing it all flawlessly? And that's a lot to reckon with. So why would we want to let go of something that has helped us succeed or seemingly has helped us to succeed? Because my guess is we could pinpoint your happiness by looking at how you emotionally feel a majority of the time. Most of the time, people who are extreme overachievers, perfectionists, don't feel happy. They are exhausted. They are overwhelmed. They are stressed. Maybe this is you. And I think that is also why, one of the components why, I think there are multiple reasons, but one of the major reasons why autoimmune stuff is on the rise, burnout is on the rise, hassle culture is amplified, we worship busyness and productivity in our culture. But all of those things are very seldomly leading to what we really want, which is a feeling of freedom and joy and enoughness. So if your perfectionist tactics have gotten you this level of success, but not gotten you what you want to feel, then my friend, It is a detriment. It is taking away from your happiness. And here is the major clincher why. And this is also the direct tie into worthiness or into your sense of enoughness. If you have a belief that things must be perfect, first of all, perfect doesn't exist. No matter what you do, there is always something that could be better. Damn near always. You could always have finessed that report a little bit more. You could have used a few less crutch words in that speech that you gave at work. You could have lost a few more pounds or made sure your hair was quaffed just so. Just a little more. There's always a way that the bar keeps getting higher and higher and higher. 
So the implication there is that you essentially can never be good enough. You are saying my worthiness, my enoughness, and therefore my happiness and fulfillment is unattainable. It is so far in the future that I don't get to have it. So no wonder if that bar is set so goddamn high, you always feel like shit. You always feel overwhelmed because you're trying to add more and more things onto your plate. You're feeling that things need to be finessed and perfected all the time, creating so much tumult in your life. So if you do not examine and reconcile your relationship with perfectionism and figure out when it serves you and when it does not, it will set you up for eternal not-enoughness. Because no matter what you do, no matter how hard you strive, it will never be perfect. You will always fall short. And then the subsequent feelings are, I will never be enough. And then it becomes cyclical. Then we hustle even harder. We get through burnout even faster. We develop physical, mental, emotional issues because we keep pushing, pushing, pushing because this is the only option that we've ever really known. I want to also push back on the idea that your attachment to perfectionism has gotten you so far that there's no way that you would actually be motivated to accomplish anything else in the future if you didn't put the pressure of perfectionism on yourself. And that is an outright lie. I'll tell you what changes. Instead of going after certain things or goals or achievements that you would like and being motivated from a place of, I have to, I have to be perfect. Or maybe if I do this, then I will finally be happy. Instead of being motivated from that place, you're motivated from fulfillment. You go, I'm going to write this book or get this degree or start this business because I deserve it, because I am worthy of spreading my message or sharing my intellect. So now you get to strive for those things from a place of worthiness. And that, my friend, carries way more positive emotions than if you said, I have to accomplish this thing, or I'm not worthy, or I'm not perfect. A couple of other ways that perfectionism can show up. And again, I'm just talking about some of this stuff through the framework of awareness. And then what we're going to talk about is what we can actually do about it. But awareness is the win. If we don't know how perfectionism is showing up for us or stealing our joy, we can't really do a goddamn thing about it. So as I illustrated with my story earlier about the triangle peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, one of the ways it can show up is losing your shit when something isn't perfect. And because we've also stacked on a lot of emotions of stress, overwhelm, responsibility, irritability, now it's a very fragile, fine line if something doesn't go well. Because all of our stock 
is in it going flawlessly. All of our enoughness and worth is wrapped up in it working out a very specific, perfect way. So when that doesn't happen, we lose our ever-loving minds. And very closely tied and also illustrated with that story is it can show up as control, especially if you don't have a lot of control in one area of your life. For example, in your relationship with your partner, in an intimate partnership, or a familial partnership. So your control mechanisms show up incredibly strong in your workplace. And as we talk about all of these things and move into what we can actually do about it, I want you to start pinpointing of these things that we've discussed, how does it apply to you? Where does it show up the most for you? Do you tend to lose your shit if things aren't perfect? Do you feel like if you lower your standards, you're never going to have any motivation ever again? Do you know very clearly it's tied to your sense of self-worth? Are you noticing ways that it is tied to procrastination, where you're not moving toward something that you really want because it just isn't quite perfect? So examine that. And I want you to be really clear. Where does that show up for you? With whom does it show up for you? And possibly in what categories? Sometimes perfectionism will be around parenting, but not necessarily around your appearance. So notice the categories for yourself where perfectionism really, really holds you back. I'm not talking about if, you're ha if you happen to be a neurosurgeon. I'm talking about when the stakes are genuinely not that high. So let's talk about six different things that you can do to start examining and possibly redesigning your relationship with perfectionism. And again, because this is the topic, you do not need to do all six. Yes, even you, even you, my friend. I want to challenge you as your first anti-perfectionism assignment to not choose all of them. In fact, I want to challenge you to only choose three. We're going to start with half. Now, if perfectionism is not really an issue for you, first of all, why are you listening? <laughs> but second of all, this doesn't apply to you, okay? If you are someone who identifies with overachieving, having a lot of issues around control, perfectionism, etc., this assignment is for you. I want you to choose no more than three to start working on. However, I do want you to choose at least one because now that we have the awareness, now we actually need to take action if we want anything to change. First item of business, number one, you have to stop identifying as a perfectionist. Anything that we annex to the phrase, I am, like I am a perfectionist, I am a people pleaser, I am a worry wart. When we say that sort of a phrase, we cement who we are. It anchors in that belief even more concretely. What do we say instead? Something like recovering perfectionist. I'm sure you've heard that. But you can also say things that are past tense, like this is something 
that in the past I would have totally obsessed on. I'm choosing something different this time around. Or saying something that's using progressive language. I'm sure you've heard about this tool of mine in the past, but it's basically taking phrasing that's saying, I'm working on or I'm on my way to. It might sound something like, I'm reevaluating my relationship with perfectionism. I'm exploring why I have felt the need to be perfect. We're essentially saying, hey, I'm in a discovery period. We could say even that, something like, I'm in a discovery period, (laughs) or I'm in a holding pattern with my perfectionism. But what we do not want to do is to continue to claim things that we don't want to be. I'm shifting my relationship with perfectionism. And what all of those phrases, progressive language phrases, have in common is that they are actionable. They are not just a stamp on your identity, like I am a perfectionist. We're talking about you being in action around this issue that is no longer serving you. Number two, and this is probably the biggest one, you have to tackle your deep-seated beliefs. We talked a little bit about that last week, but this is really sort of the nucleus of the work that I do in this world with my clients and my students is truly around changing our beliefs. Most of the time, we can point to all of our external behavior and find a deep-seated belief around why we chose that behavior. For example, if you find yourself not being able to have anyone come over to your home unless it is spotless and flawless and looking like it's right out of Better Homes and Gardens, that might be something for you to explore. That's a behavior. That's something that you have as sort of a rule, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But what's happening there? What do you have to believe in the deepest part of your subconscious in order to fuel that behavior? Like we were talking about earlier, let's say you want to get into the dating scene, but you are concerned about how perfect you look. So you have to ask yourself, for me to stop myself from going on a date or joining an online dating site, what would I have to believe about myself? Because our behavior will shine a light on our beliefs every time. So here's a small little step that you can take. First, I want you to identify an area where you feel like perfectionism is really stealing your joy. And by the way, One of the ways that it does that is having massive shit-talking in your mind. Your inner critic is going batshit all the time on shoulds and have-tos and you must and what-ifs. And so part of the way that perfectionism causes suffering is just through incessant mind chatter. So you identify that area where it's holding you back. And I want you to ask yourself this question, and I would suggest journaling around it. What do you make it mean if you are not perfect? So jot that down at the top of your journal. What do I make it mean if I am not perfect? And you can also drill down on this by asking the question after every answer you come up with, asking, and why does that matter? For example, 
let's say if you are talking about something related to your career and you realize that that's a place that you overextend yourself, you talk mad shit to yourself when you make any type of small mistake, and it always, always feels like you are just not enough. And let's say you are going for a promotion that you have been groomed for and succession planned for, and you have a lot of your identity attached to achieving this promotion. It's likely that you probably have been thinking, I need to secure this promotion or I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. So you would ask yourself, what have I made it mean? Well, that, all right, just that, that I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect. And why does that matter? Because it means that I'm going to have to find something else to prove my worth. And why does that matter? Because I'm going to be on this constant chase for my worthiness, and it will always be outside of myself. And why does that matter? And on and on and on until you drill down to what you are truly feeling around this attachment to perfectionism. Obviously, that's a very quick, easy tool that you can use to journal around. But this is also one of the biggest topics that we discuss in my program, which is called Worthy. I'm sure you've heard me talking about it in the past. And currently, applications to join Worthy are open. As long as this is still being left in the episode at the time that it airs, which is September 4th, if you are hearing that, there, there are still spots available. But let me tell you a little bit about Worthy. The reason why I called it that name, which is essentially worthy period, there's actually a period at the end, because it's an affirmative statement that my worth is unshakable, but also because the most prevailing disempowering belief that I come across is one of I am not enough. And then we start living into that belief through our behaviors. If we don't believe we're enough, it could go any number of directions. It might go into extreme self-loathing. It might go into extreme perfectionism, overachieving, and accomplishment. It could go into severe people-pleasing, where you are always putting everyone in front of yourself. It could go into extreme control, trying to make sure everything is within your power. And all of those behaviors are emblematic of your belief about your worthiness. So here's the deal. It is no fucking joke. It is nine months long. It is an intensive. It is a small group. I am capping it at eight people because I love the intimacy of a small group. I like to know everyone's bosses' names and partners' names and kids' names, and I want to be able to be invested in everything that you are going through so that we can untangle all this bullshit and get you where you want to go. For a lot of people, there's a place that it hurts, right? Like there's, I'm going through a divorce, and that's really illuminating how I view myself. Or I'm really wanting to start this new business, and I feel paralyzed. And I know it's not about getting a DBA filed. It's because I don't believe I'm fucking worth it. I don't believe I'm deserving 
of having the things that I want. So we dig into everything. We look at emotional intelligence. We look at inner child work and parental wounds, ancestral trauma. We talk about attachment styles, core value systems, tons of identity work. We spend over a month changing and altering our belief systems, not to mention an unbelievable deep dive in communication, speaking up for yourself, establishing boundaries, knowing how to say no, having a complete anatomy of tough conversations. And you will have my guidance every step of the way. But that is not the best part, (laughs) y'all. Well, actually, it's debatable. That could be the best part. What I think is so exciting is that this program includes not one, but two all-inclusive retreats, in-person retreats. The first one will be in December at a gorgeous, gorgeous lakeside estate in the northern area, sort of at the border of North Carolina and Virginia, and it is breathtaking. We're going to have the run of the entire 7,000-square-foot home. You will have your own room with either a queen or a king bed. We've got hot to all sorts of incredible things, not to mention that my incredible, beautiful husband, Mr. Smith, is going to be our private chef the entire time. Again, all-inclusive, and all you need to take care of is your flight to and from North Carolina. And the same is true for the, once again, all-inclusive retreat to this breathtaking, luxurious boutique resort in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. We went there this last May. We'll be going again with this group this coming May 2024. This place is like a utopia. I honestly made friends at the resort. It was so incredible. In fact, I still chat with one of them all the time via text. At the time of this recording, five of the eight spots are gone. So I encourage you to go to amygreensmith.com slash worthy or click the link that's in the show notes and check all of it out. Look at all of the past students that I've worked with who have generously shared their thoughts. Of course, check out the stunning retreat destinations. I do think hearing from other women who've been in your shoes, who've been, who have been struggling in their parenting or in their marriage or in their career, and they know that it is tied to how they feel about themselves, to genuinely believing that they are enough. And that is one of the most prominent outcomes that people say. I have left this course believing that I am enough, that I am worthy. And that, my friend, affects everything in your life. In fact, we're going to be talking about that specifically next week in how it informs your relational connections. So again, Time is definitely of the essence due to the small amount that I'm taking through this program. So go to amygreensmith.com slash worthy, and you'll see an opportunity to submit an application. That is your first item of business. Fill out that application, and then we will jump on a call and make sure that it is exactly what you need because I want to make sure that I'm the right practitioner for you and that the things you want to accomplish and alter are things that we can absolutely do in Worthy. So again, amygreensmith.com slash Worthy. Okay, so what we can do 
about altering our relationship with perfectionism. We've talked about stop identifying as a perfectionist. Number two, we've talked about tackling your deep-seated beliefs, asking yourself those questions. What do I make it mean if I'm not perfect? Number three, challenge yourself to take action. This is a direct refutation of procrastination. This is challenging yourself to just make some movement instead of standing still thinking that everything needs to be perfect. And a phrase that's really helpful for me there is to say to myself, tackle now, finesse later. It gives me a bit of a workaround and it allows my brain to buy into that idea much easier than if I said, just do your best and forget the rest. Like, no, my brain that is a recovering perfectionist brain would be like, fuck all the way off. But if you say to my brain, tackle it now, finesse it later, I love that idea because I can, I can handle it now, but I do know that there's opportunity to finesse. And I very specifically use the word finesse as opposed to perfect it later because perfect doesn't exist. Finesse, absolutely. Excellence, 100%. Perfect, that really isn't going to be helpful to me. But get into action. Whatever it is that's been holding you back from starting the business, jumping into the dating scene, let's say you've been like, I have to be a certain size. This is a prevailing sentiment across women everywhere. I have to be a specific size before I can ever start a dating profile. Fuck off, patriarchy. No, you can do it right now. So I want to challenge you to take a small action. Just start with a free profile or a low stakes profile. Get into action. Prove to yourself that you can tackle it now, finesse stuff later. Number four, recognize your self-inflicted rules. I danced around this a little bit earlier, but this can sound like absolutes in your mind. I have to, I always, I never. It's where we use words where there's zero room to be malleable or to move around. We're essentially saying it has to be this way. And that's incredibly stoic. That doesn't give us much wiggle room for creativity or finessing or nuance. So the next time you think, I could never leave my house without makeup, or I could never turn in a report without going through it four more fucking times, you need to think about that. Is that really true? Or is that a self-inflicted rule? And is that a rule that's enabling me to feel more disempowered? Because those absolutes, those rules of my house has to be spotless before someone comes over, have a cost. That means that you're not nurturing those relationships because it's more important to you of how your house looks than to actually engage with somebody that you care about. So you're a relationship could potentially be suffering. Your social life could be suffering. Your depression could be suffering because we know that being around others and being sociable can genuinely help. Community can help if you're in a depressed state. If you are noticing those absolutes, ask yourself, what is the cost of saying it cannot be that way? It won't ever. It never, always. 
What's the cost of holding on to that rule? Number five, this is one of my absolute favorites because it takes us out of the micro view and moves us into the meta view. Check in with your future self. In Worthy, we actually do a hypnosis process all around meeting your future self and gathering her wisdom. And let me tell you, it's never been Yeah, you should pull another all-nighter working on that goddamn presentation for your job. That's never the answer. Your future self never says, yes, work harder to make your in-laws happy. Your future self never says, yeah, you better really try to lose all that weight. Your future self has so much more wisdom. So you can take a few moments of contemplation and think about What would my 80 or 90-year-old self tell me about how much I'm stressing about making this issue perfect, this scenario, this situation, whatever it is? What would she say? Would she say, yeah, keep suffering like that? No. And if you caught my episode ages ago around the top five regrets of the dying, let me tell you. The regrets of the dying are not, I wish I was more perfect. In fact, the number one top regret of the dying, which was chronicled by Brony Ware, and if you are not familiar with her, definitely it's worth a Google, but she found that the number one regret of the dying was, I wish I would not have lived a life according to what other people wanted of me, but rather one of my own choosing. Another question I'll ask myself that is really similar to this future self question is, in the grand scheme of Amy Greensmith's life, how much does this matter? And that's really helpful for me when I'm staying up super late nitpicking some sort of graphic that I'm using that people genuinely don't care about. It's, the stakes are not high. It's my attachment to that. I'm not a graphic designer. <laughs> It's not my job. (laughs) It's something that is self-inflicted. It's a self-inflicted rule. And if I stop in the middle of the night when I'm nitpicking a color or some shit like that and ask myself, in the grand scheme of Amy Greensmith's life, how much does this matter? How much does this matter? And finally, number six, what is the pink option? This is for all of you out there who think in terms of black and white. I either go all out or I do nothing at all. I either work out five times a week or it's not even worth it. I'm not going to do anything at all. This is black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking. And I love to introduce, because I have such an affinity for color, the more garish the better. I like to think of it as what's the pink option if it's not black or white? Is there something pink I'm not seeing? Is there something teal or chartreuse or forest green that I might not be seeing? Because I've established that there's only two options, all or nothing, black or white. So for example, if you say, I either work out five days a week or nothing, it's not even worth it if I can't be perfect, a pink option might be, what if I just move this week? A green option might be, what if I try to take the stairs every day at work this week? 
A turquoise option might be, I'm going to do three days a week. A violet option might be, I'm going to shoot for five, but if I have to count one of them as a walk with a neighbor, so be it. The problem happens when we don't allow room for nuance. What is the pink option? All right, so there you have it. Six different assignments, tactics that you can start playing around with to help reevaluate your relationship with perfectionism. Let's quickly revisit them. Number one, stop identifying as a perfectionist. Number two, tackle those deep-seated beliefs. And if you have a tug to explore that much more intensely, check out Worthy. Again, link in the show notes. Number three, challenge yourself to get into action. Number four, recognize and identify your self-inflicted rules. Number five, check in with your future self. And number six, ask yourself, what is the pink option? I'm truly hoping that this has been helpful. I can't wait to be back in your ear holes. Why do I keep saying that? I I said that before and I was like, why do I keep saying that? That's a kind of sounds fucking gross. I'll be back in your podcast feed next week where we are going to be talking about worthiness and how it affects our relationships. So I hope you stay tuned. Be sure to check out Worthy. Check out the past three episodes in our Worthiness series. And I will see you around these parts next week. Until then, please remember you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak your bold face truth. Okay, wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you, bye.